eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. Everyone who's walked through our doors, unspeakable things were done to them. And that's why they join gangs. It's not because of belonging or excitement. They're imagining their funerals. They're not planning their futures. At Homeboy, we say, you know, love is the answer. But tenderness is really the methodology. That's part of the culture of the place. You, you feel it. Uh, the minute you walk in the door, people will say, wow, what is this? And that's what it is. It's really a palpable sense of tenderness. Father Greg Boyle has done an amazing job of communicating with a population that I'd think would be very hard to reach, gang members. And he's been successful with not just a few of them, but with thousands. As I said to him when he visited with us at our studio, boy, you are a hell of a communicator. And I, I feel free to say the word hell because <laughs> since you're a priest, you probably are very familiar with that word. Feel free to use any damn word you want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you must hear a lot of all kinds of language, including coarse language in, in your work. Your yeah, I, well, I have a lot of Latinos, and so English is not their first language. So sometimes they don't really know, um, as a native speaker might, how powerful and potent some um, you know, four-letter words might be. So right. they, they use it kind of uh, quite casually, So, uh, but <laughs> the, I'm quite uh, used to it. The the work is so amazing. Homeboy Industries. What? What is that? Well, we've been around for thirty years, and uh, we've sort of backed our way now into becoming the largest gang intervention, rehab, and reentry program on our planet. So we're in LA County. We serve the whole county. There are one hundred twenty thousand gang members in LA County. So about fifteen thousand folks a year walk through our doors and. Gang members who want to redirect their lives or who just got out of prison and want to start all over again. So we help them heal so that they never go back to prison. And uh, it's a you know gainful employment. And we have nine social enterprises, restaurants and bakery and all sorts of things where they train. So Homeboy Industries owns these businesses and hires. That's the- right. So we have silkscreen, recycling. E-waste recycling. Uh, we have a restaurant at the airport uh, at LAX in the city hall. Uh, we have a grocery division where we, you know, sell chips and salsas and guacamole and 
anyway, all these are opportunities. Once they, they come into our 18-month training program, they, they go to classes. There's therapy, free tattoo removal. Um, you ca- remove case, a lot of tattoos, yeah. I've heard. Yeah, more than just about anybody on earth. And and that's a painful process. And they they want they they want them removed, or is, do you have to talk them out of it? Do you suggest they remove them? No, we what? never force anybody to do it. And and it's kind of it takes what it takes. When they're ready to do it, they do it. Hmm. Um, especially if they're facial, the facial ones will be provocative forever unless they take them off. And that story about Frank. Just, I'll never forget that. that I'm not sure I can special. tell that on the radio. Yeah, but. you can. It's a podcast. Yeah. Well, he came. I didn't know who he was. His name was Frank. And two days out of Corcoran State Prison, he's sitting in front of my desk and tattooed on his forehead like a big old billboard filling the entire space that said, fuck the world. And he looked at me and he says, you know, I'm having a hard time finding a job. <laughs> and I said, well, Frank, let's put our heads together on this one. So, but the, the truth of that guy is that he's now a security guard at a movie studio, and there's no trace left of the wow. angriest, dumbest thing he had ever done. And it took a long time to remove them, and he worked for us the whole time. The idea that you get these people who have been not just members of gangs, but my impression is indoctrinated into the culture of gang membership where any anybody else in a rival gang is an enemy for life. And then, as I understand it, you get these people to work together at the bakery or or whatever store, that, whatever uh, enterprise you put them in. They Isn't that difficult to get them to work together? Well, there's probably a common interest that you know, propels any of them into our office where they want to, they want a reason to get up in the morning and a reason not to gangbang the night before. And they want their moms to be proud and their kids not to be ashamed. So, so they all walk in for the same reason, wanting the same thing. And then they're making croissants standing next to a guy they used to shoot at. Wow. And it's pretty silent, uh, probably initially. But the truth of the place is you can't demonize people you know, so you can't sustain that moment of keeping, you know, a hostility between another, you you know, know, another person. You know, that theme keeps coming up over and over. You can't demonize people you know really, That's really right. well. When you start to see them as a fellow person and not as the iconic, the cartoon of the enemy that you saw them as before— it's very difficult to summon the same kind of uh, anger and vengeful spirit. We, we heard that from George Mitchell when he brought peace to Northern Ireland. He, he deliberately brought them together. Another friend of mine, Letty Pogerman, brings together Palestinians and Israelis to events where they really get to know one another. That's right. It's, uh, humans can't sustain the distance once they're in the vicinity with each other. It just... I've never seen it not happen. I've never seen hostilities continue. People will not stay enemies if you put them together. Do they do they fall back? I mean, my guess is that you'd have a certain percentage of recidivism, or what you could call recidivism. Well, because part of the thing is healing, so you have to do the work, and we want people to excavate their wounds, if you will, and mm. they have to go back and and become friends with their wounds. 
and you their do own that? brokenness. How do, you, how do you get them healed? That sounds like a, a really difficult process because you're, not, you're talking about emotional healing. That's the, the, the whole field of psychiatry is devoted to that, and it isn't. Doesn't, I don't think they can make the same claims that you can about success. Well, I, don't, I think we get trapped sometimes with the message that it's, it's all about content, but it's really about context. It's a community of tenderness where they can feel relief and some rest from their own chronic toxic stress. And so then they feel safe. And then they, f- then they become the sanctuary that they sought in you. And then they go home and they provide that sanctuary to their kids and suddenly you've broken a cycle. But the healing really is all about relational wholeness. Once they enter into, if they surrender to it, it'll work. But people will leave, it's like relapse. They'll leave after a month, this is too hard, they stop coming. But we are, at this point in our 30 years, we can say they, they will always come back. In mm. fact, the, the gang members who run the place now, every single one is somebody who came back. Once you have a dose of affection and care and, and tenderness, that's so compelling, even if you're not ready for it right now. You know, I can see tenderness flowing from you. I can understand that. But you have a big operation, and you have a lot of people. You have, an, in a way, I would imagine, a chain of command. If you personally dealt with every single one of them, I can see the tenderness coming from you. How do you get it to come from all the other people? Well, it's now part of the air we breathe there. I mean, it's part of the culture, and I'm not there now. And but I, you know, uh, you know, from every person who's a, a navigator to a senior staff to a case manager or therapist, they're all um, connected. You know, at, at Homeboy, we say, you know, love is the answer, but community is the context. But tenderness is really the methodology. So everybody has bought into that. That tenderness is really the, kind of the highest form of spiritual maturity, and it, it's the it's the way that love can become connective tissue. Otherwise, love will stay somewhere else. It'll stay in the head or in in the air or even in your heart. But unless it becomes tender, that's that's the finishing touch on love, and so that's part of the culture of the place. You you feel it uh, the minute you walk in the door. People will say, wow, what is this? <laughs> and that's what it is. It's really a palpable sense of Okay, so suppose I'm, I want to explore this and, and hear how you accomplish this, if possible. Now, you've got some new people, let's say, and somebody among them has a tendency to get stressed and lash out or say something curt or not be tender. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Well, like I, I was here yesterday in New York, but I just got a, a I got a text from a kid said, "I want to apologize. I take full responsibility." Apparently, I'd already heard that he had gotten in a fight with somebody, a fist fight, uh-huh. which usually those things are, begin with words, and and usually there are enough people around to calm things down. But you know, you can focus on the on the behavior, which is a kind of a non-starter, or you can get underneath the behavior. What language is this behavior speaking? So I was able to, via text, just say, hey, I'm proud of you. You know, you took responsibility. You went out of your way to a word they would use is squash, which is to bring this, you know, hostility to an end. It's over. We don't need to pursue this anymore, much less bring other gang members into it. 
And so you kind of want to accent whatever was uh, accentuate anyway, what, whatever was positive in that moment. And that mattered to him. But the fact that he, he wrote me and said, I know you're going to hear about this. I feel bad. I don't know why I did it. He got me mad. I didn't know how to. He's a young kid. He's like 16. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that stuff happens. But we don't want to banish people. We want somebody to learn. And uh, especially since they're enemies, we want them to move beyond the mind they have. Do, um, do they have a problem leaving the gang and coming to you? Does the gang get mad at them? Do they have repercussions? You know, there's a prevailing myth that would say that that, that happens. But again, I've been doing this for over 30 years. I've never seen it happen. You know, um, 95% of all gang members want what these guys have. Which is? Which is a, a reason to get up in the morning and, and make everybody proud of you. What about the myth that we all, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is going to turn out to be a myth too. It seems, I've heard the story so many times on the front pages of newspapers that you can't say to somebody who's making $1,000 a day or whatever he's making selling drugs, you can't convince him that you can get him a job rolling donuts for a couple of dollars an hour. Yeah, except that it, people feeling good about themselves is is uh, kind of a high value. And if you read something like Freakonomics, they'll talk about how much kids make selling drugs, you know, um, especially the low-level ones. They don't make that much. No, they, they, you still would make 10 times more more money working at McDonald's than you would be selling drugs mm. on a street corner, especially in, from in the early days when you had, and during the crack ep- epidemic, you had kids, gang members running up to cars selling crack cocaine, that, you know, they made something like $3 an hour or oh, way less. So in a way, the, what the major thing they were getting out of that is perhaps the acceptance by the gang as a member of a family. Perhaps, except that, you know, uh, no hopeful kid ever joins a gang, and so kids are stuck in a lethal absence of hope. And, and so it's really not about belonging. It's no kid is seeking anything when he joins a gang. He's always fleeing something. Mm-hmm. So Homeboy wants to address the thing they were fleeing that got him sent to prison in the first place. These, I get the impression when I hear you talk about this that I, what I see is innocent kids facing an early life of abuse and neglect that is an, an, an engine of their despair to some extent, a little bit uh, leading them to this hopelessness you're talking about. And you seem to be able to get them back to that innocent state. Well, I think you and I and every gang member who's ever walked through Homeboy, we were all born wanting the same things. And then something happened. So I won, you know, all these lotteries, you know, parent lottery, Geography lottery, zip code lottery, educated by the Jesuits lottery. <laughs> I, I won all these lotteries. But but the folks I've been privileged to work side by side with in a company for the last 30 years, every single one, I, I stand in awe at what they've had to carry and what they've endured rather than in judgment at how they've navigated their lives. And so they, I, my life never 
ever has handed me the things that they had to endure and navigate and from abuse to torture to violence to neglect and abandonment on un, everyone who's walked through our doors unspeakable things were done to them and that's why they join gangs it's not because of belonging or or excitement or any of those things that they, they they're imagining their funerals. They're not planning their futures. So I don't quite get it. If, if the abuse somehow leads to their joining the gang, what is it that draws them in? Well, I don't think they're being drawn. I don't think they're being lured. I don't think they're being attracted. There is no pull factor. There's only push. So gangs are the places kids go when they've encountered their life as a misery, and misery loves company. So uh, I had a, a kid, uh, a kid, he's early 30s. He has three young daughters. He was in my office the other day. He works at Homeboy six months in. And he was telling me about when he was nine, he and his twin brother were sent to live with their grandmother, who he called the meanest human being I've ever known. And she forced them to strip down to their underwear, sit in a hallway every day after school, and she would duct tape their mouths because she said, I can't stand the sound of your voices. And, and he starts to uh, starts to well up with tears. And then he says, this is why I never shush my three daughters mm. because I love the sound of their voices. Yeah. That's why he joined a gang. Now, you can draw a straight line between his own despair and the torture that got him sent to live with his grandmother, which was indeed worse. And then he and his twin brother ran away from home after being one year enduring this woman who I'm going to presume is mentally ill. Mm. And, and then we're off to the races. And then he ends up, it's the urban poor's version of teenage suicide. It's how kids in the community oh, that, where I... that's an interesting way to put yeah, it. Yeah, where they, they, they live out their own self-destructive urges. And it's all about, if you can't imagine a future, then your present isn't compelling. And if your present doesn't hold you there, then you will not care whether you inflict harm, and you won't care whether you duck to get out of harm's way. And that's the calculation here, that they're not seeking anything positive when they join a gang. Yeah, that, and I'm, really, I'm really getting it now. You're, it, it's that it's almost a form of living suicide. Absolutely. And many of them expect to die at, in gunfire. And, and it's you know, if if you were to so I've I've been a priest for you know thirty five years, and if you go to comparable priests, maybe parish priests and in, in more middle class, upper class parishes, they will talk to you about teenagers burying kids who killed themselves. Mm-hmm. But I haven't. That's a very rare thing, and yet I've buried two hundred and twenty two kids killed because of gang violence. And these are kids you developed a really close relationship. Yeah, I mean, many of them were, uh, I was extremely close to. But these were kids. And I, am I right? I, pardon me for interrupting. Yeah. I, I think I heard you say in an interview that 
some of the kids that you had become close to who had been killed had been killed by other people who you also loved. You loved the killed and the killer. How do you cope with that? Doesn't that tear you apart? Well, I, I, I think you make a kind of a, an arrangement with yourself, you know. First of all, you, death cannot be the worst thing that ever happens to us because it's going to happen to all of us. Right. So right. It, it just can't be the worst thing. It's funny thing. how we forget that. Yeah. <laughs> we always think an exception will be made yeah. in my case. I have a friend who says, I realize we all have to die, but not in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> When we come back, Father Boyle talks about his interesting take on the kind of communicating we haven't talked about yet on this show, how he communicates with God. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to our conversation with Father Greg Boyle. So, speaking of death and communication, how do you communicate with God? It's not the way a lot of other people communicate with God, asking for stuff. No, I don't do that for sure. Because, you know, God may be ever never changing, and but our consciousness is always changing every day. You know, so our third grade conception of who God was God help us. I hope we've moved beyond that. What was, you know? what was your third grade perception? Well, again, it was the same, you know, please, God, help me pass this math test. I know I didn't study at all, you know. If, but if, I mean, if miracles are possible, there you yeah, go. Crazy, crazy. And then, then you end up believing, I believe that God protects me from nothing and sustains me in everything. Okay, go into that a little bit. Well, I... I you know, I don't. Otherwise, it's magical thinking. You know, people will say, "Oh my God, I, I I give God all the credit that I didn't die in this car accident." Yeah, and and if you had, yeah, you know, right. now and what? Who gets you, the credit? You forced yourself into a kind of an unfortunate corner. Stuff happens. Death happens. Your granddaughter gets cancer, and your and your kid doesn't get into school or whatever it is. You know, it's just. So what's that mantra from before God sustains you in everything? I, I, I always say that God protects me from nothing ah. and sustains me in everything. So it feels more mature to me, you know. So, um, so what is you? What do you mean by sustain? And that's kind of sustain important. is just to be kind of tethered to a God who loves you without measure and without regret, and 
and I'm a Jesuit. So Ignatius always talks about the God is always greater. I just read the other day, Meister Eckhart, who was a theologian and mystic who died in 1328, and he said, it is a lie, any talk of God that doesn't comfort you. Mm. Well, we've lost sight of that. We think we think they're all that God has lots of other things on God's agenda, but I think it's it's about tenderness, you know. And so, does that mean that when we talk about hell, which doesn't comfort many people, I think uh, that we're lying? Well, you know, I think those were the things that that. Uh, it was all a faith that was from the outside in, even the Ten Commandments and the fear of hell. That's all from the outside in. But once it becomes from the inside out, that's why every mystic, Catholic mystic, at the end of their lives, they kind of go, gosh, I don't really believe in hell. Only because they, they had a sense of who God was at that point in their life where they went, wow. Even Teresa of Avila used to say, Okay, there's a hell, but I think it's empty. <laughs> I think it's great that mystics can be good comics. <laughs> then we're, we're getting we're getting to the heart of things. You know how to tell a story. You're, I got to tell anybody listening to go to their computer, or you're probably at your computer right now. Come to think of it, and <laughs> and watch you on you on uh, your TED talk. The, the the heart of it is so compelling and interspersed with those emotional moments, you have such great comic timing in the stories you tell. That story about Manuel and what was his name? Manuel and uh, Snoopy. Uh, remember the... the, the, the they oh, were, the you, cell phone. The, yeah, yeah. You want me to tell that one? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. we were in a car and so, uh, you know, with these two guys... Emmanuel and Boncho, and they're going to help me give a talk at a high school. And and uh, suddenly, uh, Emmanuel gets an incoming text, and he reads it to himself, and he, he chuckles. And I said, well, what is it? And he goes, oh, it's dumb. It's, it's from Snoopy back at the office. Well, I had just seen Snoopy. Snoopy was there, gave me a big hug as the day began. And Snoopy and Emmanuel worked together in the clock-in room where they clock in hundreds and hundreds of our workers, which is a really tough job. And uh, so, I said, well, what's he have to say? And he goes, oh, it's dumb. Let me find it here. So, he scrolls down and, oh, here it is. He says, hey, dog, it's me, Snoops. Yeah, they got my ass locked up at county jail. They're charging me with being the ugliest vato in America. You have to come down right now. Show them they got the wrong guy. (laughs) Well, the three of us, we died laughing. And then I realized that Manuel and Snoopy are, are enemies. They're from exactly oh, opposing yeah, gangs. Yeah, I forgot that. Isn't that great? They're and, hitting each other. And with... that they used to shoot at each other because, boy, I have the gray hairs to prove that I, I was there when that happened. And now they, they don't shoot at each other. They shoot text messages to each other. And kid each other and can oh, take God. it, can yes. take the kidding. Yeah, I mean, that's the... That's the level of kinship and connection that you hope for. But it's also, I would ask myself, you know, does that, are there any exceptions to that happening? And I, and honestly, I can't think of a time, which, which again, what we were talking about earlier about being in the vicinity with each other and being, 
discovering that that were really quite same rather than we, different. We, we were talking about praying, and we were talking about what these homeboys get to achieve in terms of their their depth, their thinking, their emotional availability. And I seem to remember that you use mantras in your in your own private life. And that is it right that one of these kids gave you a mantra that you you find valuable? Uh, well, I have different mantras. I, I th- it might be the one uh, this kid Robert used to always say, uh, if you're humble, you'll never stumble. <sighs> That's one. That's pretty good. Yeah. You, I, and I remember I wrote this down. You were talking, I don't know who you were talking to, maybe to somebody on the radio, and you said, you listen, you know, because the stance is humility. That's to tie listening in with humility is, I think, really smart. I wish you'd talk about what you mean by humility because that's, well, I'll give it's an often example. misunderstood. I'll give I an think. example. So I, I was giving a talk in Houston, and I met this guy who was what we would call a hardcore gang intervention worker. So he's a former gang member. Now he's working in the streets of Houston trying to calm things down. Very good guy. And he came up to me and he says, pleading with me, how do you reach them? And I found myself saying to him, for starters, stop trying to reach them. Can you be reached by them? And suddenly it turns this whole thing on its head. I I don't think we go to the margins to make a difference. But if you go to the margins... You're supposed to allow the folks at the margins to make you different. Uh. And and what happens there is that you're not fixing anybody, you're not rescuing anybody, and it is not about you, which is the definition of humility. How does it stay about the other rather than I'm going to make a difference? Because I don't know how you do that. How do you, how do you uh, go to the margins to make a difference and not have it be about you? <laughs> so – so instead, you go and will I allow my heart to be altered by these folks? Which is, by definition, you have to listen. You have to receive people. This is really interesting to me, and people who have heard this before from me may be sick of hearing it. But I discovered a few years ago that for me, I wasn't really listening unless I was willing to be changed by the other person. And I think that's pretty much what you're saying word for word. Well, but it's also how you stay alive in delighting in the present moment. Because then you're not lamenting what happened yesterday and you're not anxious about tomorrow. You're right here with the person. And that's exactly right. I, I'd never heard it that way. Where, where as long as you're open, this person is about to change me. And that's exciting and and requires a kind of an attention that we don't normally bring to bear. I think that's true. And it's interesting. I learned that not by thinking intellectually about it. I learned it from the experience of acting on the stage where if you're the other actor, I'm, I have to listen to what you have to say to me in such a way that I'm willing to let you have an effect on me that changes the way I say my next line. And I don't say the next line because it's written in the script and I've memorized it. I say it 
because you've made me say it and made me say it in a special way because I'm reacting to the tiniest shifts in your tone and your body language. It's different from the way it was last night. It's a whole new thing. It's presently in the moment, as you just That's mentioned. Right. And if I am willing to let myself be changed by you, then we have an interaction that's authentic and it doesn't look like acting. And we're not in the future. We're not in the past. Or, and you're not waiting to say the next thing that you want to say. Right, exactly, which everybody knows is poor listening, where yeah. you just wait for your cue. To, yeah. This guy has stopped talking. Now it's my turn. <laughs> and what you have there are dueling monologues instead of a dialogue. Which is hard in these days in which we live because everyone wants to win the argument. And it doesn't need to be an argument very yeah. often. And you don't need to win anything. And you don't win anything. What do you win? Except to gain your own heart being changed. Like well, what, what, what that, can, that what, you can if you if you let them in, you have something to gain. But right. if you win the if you win the discussion, you've put a little seed of unhappiness in the other person. Yeah. And you haven't really gained anything. Yeah. Well, this is a nice talk. I'm having a good time with you. I'm having a great time. (laughs) (laughs) I have almost as much a good time with you as if we disagreed. (laughs) So this conversation seems to me to be about empathy, tenderness, and letting the other person into your conscious sphere, reacting to them. That seems to, if not be empathy perhaps induce empathy because you're paying attention to the other person. Do you think much about empathy as part of your work and your life? Yeah, I, I, the word I use is awe. And, and so in the Acts of the Apostles, they talk about, and awe came upon everyone. So awe is a way of keeping, awe is the opposite of judgment. Mm. So awe keeps you tender and attentive, keeps you delighting in the person in front of you, keeps you aware of what the other has gone through. The opposite of that is, you know what this guy's problem is? You know, that, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and that's kind of, again, the times in which we live. You know, it's either you're a, if you're a stranger to yourself, then you aren't friends with your own wound. And if you are not friends with your own brokenness, then you will be tempted to despise the wounded. Let me try to understand the idea of being friends with your own wound. It it sounds like you're saying if you're not friends with your own wound, you're ignoring it, you're paying no attention to it, you're despising that part of yourself that's that's wounded. Is that what you mean? I think you're despising that part of you, which lends you to despise immigrants, gay folks, Whoever, whoever it is, whoever the other is, whoever the mar- people on the margins are, what, what would lead you to despising who these folks are if it isn't the fact that you are a stranger to yourself, that you, don't, you haven't welcomed your own wound and held it up there and said, oh, okay, yeah, I know my wound. I know my brokenness. And we're all a cry for help. And once you know that, then now I can listen to you. Now yeah. I can receive you without judgment. Because judgment is, is, is the opposite of what we're going for here. And awe 
and I, I use the word awe more than empathy or compassion because I think sometimes people, uh, because I think it's more than just understanding, you know, where this person's coming from. It's 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 wow. What you've been asked to carry is really, you know, fills me with awe. Sometimes you come in contact with somebody for whom it's not only hard to know what they're feeling or know what they're going through, it's especially hard to think, wow, I'm in the presence of somebody I couldn't wait to be in the presence of. I'm awed by them. what what somebody who's, let's say you're next to somebody who confides in you in a way that he knows you'll agree that black people are stupid. Well, how, how do you work up awe for this person? Well, I think that mental illness is real. So I think if anybody has ever met an actual racist, you haven't met, met a healthy human being. And it, this raises the issue of, like, evil, too. I, I've had, uh, you know, there was Senator uh, Ted Cruz after the Santa Fe, Texas shooting, and you had a teenager who killed 10 people. And he said, the f- people of Texas have, have seen the face of evil in this young man. Then you cut to a 16-year-old girl who's a classmate who was student at the same school who says, anyone who does this has a world of hurt in here and touching her chest. Well, so I would ask you, you know, which is the healthier response? Which is the more sophisticated response? Which is the one I would use the language of which response is more aligned with God? Well, I'm going to go with the 16-year-old girl Hmm. because demonizing is always the opposite of the truth. This gets really to the heart of the problem I face once in a while when I am talking with somebody about what I think is the power of connection. And what we mentioned before about when you see somebody as a human, it's hard to hate them. But if you take it to its logical extreme, there are people like Hitler, like Duterte in the Philippines, uh, like uh, Paul Pot. There are scores of people, probably hundreds of people whose names we don't even know. And when we discuss our response to these people, is it or is it not appropriate to think of them as the enemy who has to be put down, put aside in some way because they don't seem accessible to our, um, our compassion, our emotion, and certainly not to our awe. That's the question. That doesn't mean I agree with everything I just said. I'm just mm. trying to raise the question. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I believe that terrible things have happened in the course of human history, and there, you just can't deny it. But evil is another thing. I, I feel like God is too sophisticated to believe in evil. <laughs> Truly, it's like, it's like the the empty hell. <laughs> Be, yeah, because God is gets underneath stuff. God kind of knows where people are coming from. God knows mental illness, and and the fact that people don't choose it, it it chooses them. God does not have enemies. God so, has so we can't either. God has children. And the invitation is for us to have sisters and brothers. So the question is not 
how does God feel about it, it seems to me. The question is, what should we do? Should we try to have the infinite mercy that and uh, compassion that God seems to have for everybody? Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So so this guy is standing in front of you from the SS and says, uh, Adolf told me to shoot you in the head right now. And you say, you poor guy, I know, I know how you feel. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? Yeah, I, again, I, I, uh, to explain things is not to excuse things, you right, know. Right. And once you can get to a place where we belong to each other, and, and, and that's, that's one of those unshakable truths. And, you know, even the current president and even people who you demonize and, and as he demonizes members of the MS-13 and, and the list goes on and on. Uh, we belong to each other. And, and, how, and because I know people who have killed lots of people, and, mm. and that's kind of what happens in the gang world, have I met evil? No. <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. And that of that, I'm absolutely certain. So I can I know kids, and I know what the torment, and I know the trauma, and I know that mental illness is real, and that damaged people will damage people. Mm. So, but let me ask. But you, something. you would think I would have bumped into somebody evil. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. In 34 years, and I never have. Exactly what I was going to ask you, because you brought this up in my head. I don't mean to keep challenging you, but to make you uncomfortable. But you you keep coming up with good responses. (laughs) The question that rises in my mind at this point is you've had continued success with the people who have come to you. But if there's anybody unredeemable, it may be among those who have not come to you who head the gangs, who are on are hell-bent to continue their behavior and are not interested in changing. Are, is, are they the Hitlers and Dutertes of the world? No. You know, when in, in my mind, and I've done this where, way back in the recesses of my mind, I will have a kid who I'll say to myself, and hey, I'm not sure this kid's ever going to turn this ship around. And those are always precisely the kids who do. Who surprise you? But they've come and, to you for help. Yeah, but I, 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 I don't, I don't think I've ever found anybody who was beyond redemption. Where did you find this? Where did you find the ability to have this tenderness and to express it so effectively? Where did, was there a turning point in your life? I I don't know. You know, I I don't think I was prepared for anything that I ended up doing in life. Except I think if if you can stay anchored with the person in front of you and if you can and let this person change you as you said, then then you find yourself alive, you know? And then my job is not to save anybody. I think saving lives is for the Coast Guard, you know? I mean, <laughs> I don't really do it. because. But that has changed my life, to be able to say I'm, I'm not, you know, you don't go to the margins to rescue anybody. But yeah. my experience is if you go to the margins, we're all going to find rescue. So they're leading me to something. I'm not leading them to someplace. 
you've been a trustworthy guide to me during this conversation. <laughs> I, I really have enjoyed it. We, we have to go. But before we go, we like to do seven quick questions that ask for seven quick answers. Are you, are you game for that? Sure. Okay, number one, what do you wish you really understood? I, I wish I really understood mental illness. What do you wish other people understood about you? I would hope that they would understand uh, inclusion. About you? About me, that, I, that kind of including people is kind of a value. And what's the strangest question someone's ever asked you? <laughs> uh, I was in an interview with at, at this event, and they said, what was my favorite song? And I couldn't come up with a favorite song. I felt embarrassed. <laughs> okay. These are all about communication, roughly. How do yeah. you stop a compulsive talker? I don't know. I don't. I don't really stop them. I let them go until <laughs> it sounds until like a homie <laughs> interrupts me. <laughs> Is there anyone you just can't feel empathy for? No. Yeah, I think we covered that <laughs> pretty well. Six. How do you like to deliver bad news in person, on the phone, or by carrier pigeon? <laughs> Email. <laughs> That's your favorite one? That's my favorite. Okay, last question. What, if anything, would make you end a, a friendship? Nothing. Well, that's good to know because I feel like I'm friends with you. Yeah, likewise. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you, Alan. This has been Clear and Vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the sponsors of this episode. All the income from the ads you hear goes to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Just by listening to this podcast, you're contributing to the better communication of science. So thank you. As a Jesuit priest from 1986 to 1992, Father Boyle served as pastor of Dolores Mission Church, which was then the poorest Catholic parish in Los Angeles, and that also had the highest concentration of gang activity in the city. This experience led him to found Homeboy Industries. Homeboy Industries is now the largest gang intervention, rehabilitation, and re-entry program in the world. You can learn more at www.homeboyindustries.com. Father Boyle is the author of the 2010 New York Times bestseller, Tattoos on the Heart, The Power of Boundless Compassion. And his 2017 book is the Los Angeles Times bestseller, Barking to the Choir, The Power of Radical Kinship. This episode was produced by Graham Chedd with help from our associate producer, Sarah Chase. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula. Our tech guru is Allison Costin. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or from wherever you listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hi. 
Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Next in our series of conversations, I'll be talking with Chris Voss. Chris is a very special kind of negotiator. It turns out his work negotiating for the release of hostages has given him a clear view of the difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy doesn't actually help anybody. You know, sympathy makes us feel good. Oh, I feel bad for you. And then I go back to my daily life. Well, that doesn't help them. Clarity helps other people. Empathy is a clear vision of what they're seeing, how they feel about it. And that's just that's just empathy. It's completely understanding with no judgment where the other side's coming from. Chris Voss, next time on Clear and Vivid. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?